A warning before we begin. This episode includes discussions about domestic violence and abuse. If that subject is a trigger or difficult for you to hear, then I encourage you to skip this episode. Listener discretion is advised. Do you know the moment a relationship goes bad? Is it one moment or thousands of little moments or big ones that add up over time? Do five years or 10 years or 20 years eventually culminate into one instant where everything turns and you suddenly know it's over, you're over it, and you have to get out? For some, it's small flashes of unhappiness knowing that although no one's done anything you could necessarily define as wrong, you're not happy. These moments and seconds can be fraught with misery. Sometimes they're filled with hope that this will be the last argument or the last time you have to remind someone about a mundane task, which on the surface seems like nothing. But inside, it's the 15,000th time you've repeated the same request over a decade, and it's more than just asking someone to take out the trash or fold the laundry. It's the realization that your partner doesn't listen to you. Is that merely how they're wired? Is it a gender thing? Or do they simply not care and ignore you? Lives like these are lived in a constant state of flux. The lows of arguing and the highs of making up, or the lows of arguing and the highs of a normal day, which just doesn't include an argument. Some relationships don't even have those peaks and valleys. They're flat. Flat from a bad match, no common interest, or opposites that you thought attracted but eventually repel. Worse than all of this are abusive relationships. Verbal abuse. Physical abuse, often a combination of the two. Someone apologizes. They say it'll never happen again. The other person torn apart inside because they give in. They try to forgive, try to go on with their lives as if it didn't happen. Grocery shopping, picking up the kids from school, doing laundry, doing anything that gives you a sense of normalcy until it happens again. When is enough enough? Do people who decide to leave bad relationships for any or all of the reasons I mentioned go through a singular moment that stands out as the instance you knew you wanted to take back your life? It's probably a little bit of everything, an inordinate amount of living with someone who isn't the right fit for you until you resolve to leave. For Ellen Gregory Robb, that moment came in the fall of 2006 when she told her brother Gary Gregory she just couldn't take it anymore. And by it, she met her marriage to Raphael Robb. There was emotional abuse, physical abuse, both she tried to hide from family and friends. Hers was a loveless marriage, filled with insults and degradation from Ellen's husband with whom she'd spent 16 years. They had a child together, a beautiful home in Upper Marion, a suburb outside the city of Philadelphia. Raphael Robb was the breadwinner. He was a professor at the University of Pennsylvania, and a tenured professor. Ellen Robb had a career before and in the early days of their marriage, but her husband encouraged her to stop working outside of the home once they had a child and be a full-time stay-at-home parent. Ellen finally made the decision to leave her abusive husband, but didn't know how she would care for herself or her daughter. In a 2017 interview with Philadelphia Magazine, Ellen's brother Gary Gregory told her not to worry about it. He would make sure she and his niece had whatever they needed. He'd help her hire a divorce attorney. He'd help them start over and find another place to live. Whatever Ellen needed, her family would provide. They'd help her through this difficult ordeal, but they never had the opportunity. 
Just two months later, on December 22nd in 2006, three days before Christmas, Ellen Gregory Robb was murdered in her Upper Marion home on Forest Road while she sat at her kitchen table wrapping Christmas presents. Think about that scene. It's something so many of us do when the house is empty so our family can't see the gifts we're wrapping. Ellen had the paper spread out on the kitchen table, probably with tape and scissors. God, how many times do we lose the tape or the scissors under the wrapping paper, frantically tearing at everything around you, thinking, where did the damn tape go? She'd pick out a bow that matched the wrapping paper, maybe add some ribbon and then a gift tag that was probably hiding under the wrapping paper along with the damn tape. Maybe Ellen had a Christmas movie on in the background, her mind far away from what was about to happen. I wonder if that's how it was for Ellen Gregory Robb. I wonder and hope that in the moments before her death, she enjoyed her day getting ready for Christmas, thinking about her daughter, her family, and friends, thinking of anything other than what was about to happen. I'd like to tell you Ellen's story. It's a story that continues today, 12 years later, thanks to her family and the work they've done to ensure her legacy creates hope for victims of domestic violence and abuse. I'm Dina Marie, your host on this Twisted Journey. Welcome to Twisted Philly. There's more mischief, mayhem, and nefarious goings-on in the city of brotherly love than Billy Penn could have ever imagined. We've got it all here on the Twisted Philly podcast. True crime, haunted history, the coolest and creepiest places to visit. Welcome Welcome to to Twisted Philly. Philly. According to the Pennsylvania Coalition Against Domestic Violence, between 2007 and 2017, over 1,600 people in the Keystone State died as a result of domestic violence. Although, as you might imagine, female victims outnumber the men, domestic violence really knows no boundaries. Men, women, children, all ages, races, ethnic backgrounds, all social and economic backgrounds— In 2017, we had the highest number of domestic violence deaths resulting from firearms in Pennsylvania than in the last 10 years. Gun violence is the leading cause of domestic violence deaths in Pennsylvania, and the highest number of these deaths are in Philadelphia County. About six years ago, Pennsylvania developed the Lethality Assessment Program, also known as LAP, whereby police responding to domestic violence calls ask victims specific questions to assess their risk of being killed. And then the police connect these people with resources that can help. The Pennsylvania Coalition Against Domestic Violence realized only 4% of people who were killed as a result of domestic violence had ever reached out for help from shelters or domestic violence hotlines. Most never sought the resources of state or county programs prior to their deaths. LAP didn't exist in 2006 when Ellen Gregory Robb was murdered. Sure, there were other programs to support victims of domestic violence. I remember the hotlines as far back as the 80s. But not everyone calls the police when they're being attacked by a spouse or a partner. Ellen didn't. And part of that was probably the result of her projected lifestyle. I say projected because on the surface to many people, living in a big house in an affluent area of suburban Philadelphia, being married to a man who was one of the leading minds about game theory, a professor at University of Pennsylvania, one of the most prestigious schools in the country. All of that, on the surface, looks like you've won the lottery. 
Ellen Gregory, her mother, and her younger brothers were dealt a difficult blow when Ellen was just seven years old. Her father was working abroad in Colombia. The Gregory family was by his side when he died unexpectedly in 1964. Ellen and her family returned to the United States and settled on the main line outside of Philadelphia. Ellen's family typically called her the little mother because of everything she did to help her mom support and care for her younger brothers. As a young woman, Ellen worked to put herself through college and help support her family. Part of her salary paid for tuition, and the rest of it went to her mom and her brothers. When I learned this about Ellen Gregory, it gave me a sense of the sort of person she was. Hardworking, incredibly committed to her family, kind, and not the least bit selfish. According to her brother Gary, as well as really anybody who knew her, she was fun-loving, she enjoyed parties, she got excited over the littlest things, she was popular, she was well-liked at school, in college, at the department store where she worked in the late 70s and early 80s. She was well-loved by family and friends and her community. She was the type of person that everybody gravitated towards and just wanted to be around. In other words, she seemed the complete opposite of the man she eventually married, a man named Raphael Robb. Raphael was seven years older than Ellen. He immigrated to America after earning a degree in math in Israel, where he was born and raised. Then he earned both a master's and a PhD in economics from UCLA in the early 80s. There's no denying Raphael was smart, genius-level smart, to the point Raphael Robb was considered an expert in his area of specificity, game theory. Now, I didn't know exactly what that was, although when I first heard the term, what came to mind was someone who watches everyone else, someone who can predict other people's moves, not just in cards and actual games, but in the game of life. And my understanding wasn't too far off. Game theory analyzes decision-making through the study of economics. It means you think moves ahead to determine the outcome of a situation in an effort to find the best possible outcome. That level of strategizing seems fascinating. But I can also see where being married to someone like that could be maddening, wondering if they're analyzing you, trying to figure out what you're going to do or say next. That's not the same as getting to know your partner. What I'm describing feels, at least to me, more like control. If someone can anticipate your every move, they can make counter moves to ensure you behave in a way that is most preferred by them. And from what I read about Ellen and Raphael Robb, it sounded as if that's what living with Raphael was like. And that was just the tip of the iceberg. Ellen Gregory met Raphael Robb through an online dating service. According to her family, initially Ellen was on the fence about Raphael, as were they. He seemed a little odd. Perhaps it was that genius-level IQ that made it difficult for him to follow expected social behavior. Growing up in Israel, he lived in a culture that was different from America. Ellen and Raphael's childhoods and education were also different. But eventually, Ellen came to believe their differences were the result of just different upbringings and different cultures. Where Ellen was incredibly social and popular, Raphael barely interacted with anyone. He appeared as if he saw himself above others because of his considerable focus on academia, especially his research in game theory. 
Ellen told her family she loved Raphael. I don't know if she loved him or the idea of him. Maybe she started out loving him and then it became more just what he represented. A man who came from another culture and another country, someone who was a bit mysterious, someone incredibly smart and established with a great career. Based on descriptions of Raphael Robb, regardless of how he looked on paper, he did not seem like a lovable person. Ellen was the epitome of a successful young woman, not only because of her education and her career, but because of her natural vitality that drew everyone in. I know the expression, opposites attract, and that certainly seemed to be the case with Ellen Gregory and Raphael Robb. Ellen and Raphael married in 1990. Her strawberry blonde hair was swept back from her face, which looked radiant. Both she and Raphael looked happy and excited in their wedding photos. He towered over her small frame, as if he were her protector. But that's not at all what he turned out to be. Those wedding photos belied the pain and strife that was to come in the Rob marriage. Just three years after their wedding, Raphael Rob left Ellen when she was pregnant. According to her family, throughout much of her pregnancy, Ellen lived with her brother, Art Gregory. While I didn't find specific details regarding why Raphael left at this particular time, I did read that Ellen was very open and upfront with Raphael, even when they were dating, about her desire to be a parent, to be a mother. So this wasn't one of those cases where it's too soon to have a baby or I wasn't expecting this. Both were established in their careers. Their home was more than big enough for a baby for even a few babies. Raphael's departure when Ellen was pregnant may have been one of his ways to control her. While they did reunite after their daughter was born in 1994, in an interview with a Philadelphia paper, Ellen's family said she and Raphael lived separately within their home. They no longer shared a bedroom. Over the next 12 years, Ellen and Raphael's relationship continued to deteriorate. And as I say that, I wonder if that's even the right way to phrase what happened because it seems more like Raphael's behavior worsened, his abuse worsened, and that's what continued to eat away at the foundation of their relationship. From what I read, it sounded as if Ellen Gregory Robb did whatever she could to make the marriage work. Some people might ask why such a smart, accomplished young woman would stay in a bad relationship. It's so very easy for people on the outside to ask questions like those. To greater or lesser degrees, many of us have done that. We've tried to fix a romantic relationship, thinking if I keep the house neater or if I get dinner ready on time more often or if I keep the kids quieter, be amenable, it will make a difference. And it doesn't. Maybe it does for a short time, but it doesn't last because it doesn't matter what you do when you're in a relationship with an abuser. Unless they recognize their own behavior, admit their issues, and get help because they not only want to change, but they believe they need to change their behavior. The abuse will not stop. There are numerous reports from friends and family members about verbal and emotional abuse Ellen suffered in her relationship with Raphael Robb. Some of this abuse was known to Ellen's family and friends when it occurred. But as you might expect, other stories, much darker stories, emerged after her death. Ellen Gregory Robb's sister-in-law claimed there were times when she was on the phone with Ellen she heard Raphael screaming at Ellen in the background, calling her horrible, derogatory names. If he was willing to speak like that in earshot of her family, how bad must it have been when no one was listening? Friends of Ellen and Raphael's daughter stopped staying over the Rob house for sleepovers. 
According to an interview with parents in the community, one friend in particular told her mother she wouldn't sleep over because she could hear the Robs fighting most of the night, and it made her uncomfortable. It probably also scared her. One friend of Ellen's shared a story with Philadelphia Magazine about a time Raphael gave Ellen a black eye, which means he punched her in the face. This wasn't the first time Ellen had bruises because of her husband. In the past, she tried to pass off the bruises as clumsiness. Maybe she walked into a door jam or bumped her arm on a car door. She tripped and just wasn't paying attention. But a black eye is different. There is no passing that off as anything other than what it is. The result of being punched in the face. Through all this, Ellen managed to serve as the brownie troop leader for her daughter and her friends. She was a homeroom mom. She received an award for Volunteer of the Year in 2004, just two years before her death at Roberts Elementary School in Upper Marion Township. By the fall of 2006, Ellen Gregory Robb finally decided to leave her husband, Raphael. Her brother, Gary, made sure she'd have whatever she needed until divorce settlements were ironed out, which could be months or even years in the future. Gary helped Ellen secure an attorney who initially estimated Ellen could receive as much as $4,000 a month in child and spousal support, more than enough for her and her daughter to live on. She'd even found an apartment to rent. Once she made the decision to leave Raphael, life seemed to get a little easier for Ellen. According to interviews with her friends and family, they described Ellen as lighter and happier. One friend even said the old Ellen is back. But Ellen still had to tell her husband, Raphael Robb, that she was leaving him. As a man who was an expert in the art of the deal, someone who could break down every human thought in a negotiation, learning his wife intended to leave him when he wasn't expecting it would be an enormous blow to the sense of control he exhibited over everything. On Friday, December 22, 2006, Raphael Robb had some errands to run in Philadelphia. That morning after their daughter left for school, Raphael left Ellen at home wrapping Christmas presents around 8.30 while he headed into the city. He wasn't gone very long. He made a stop at a market in Chinatown, then dropped off papers at University of Pennsylvania where he worked. When he returned home around noon, he found a gruesome scene. Ellen Gregory Robb, his wife of 16 years, was murdered. Rob didn't immediately call the police. First, he checked Ellen, who was on the kitchen floor. He said he touched her face and determined she was dead. He went upstairs to his bedroom, dropped his work bags on the bed. Then he told police he heard barking. Somehow the family dog got stuck in his daughter's bedroom, although it had been out and about in the house when he left earlier that morning. Raphael Robb let the dog out. He went back downstairs and noticed a rear window of their house was broken. There was glass on the floor. He still had one last chore before calling police. Raphael Robb had to go to the bathroom. Maybe all of that took two minutes. I'm guessing it was definitely less than five. But still, you come home and find your spouse on the floor. Clearly, they have not died from natural causes because there was blood all over the kitchen. And you go upstairs to put away your work bags before calling the police. Once Raphael Robb did call the police, he didn't call 911. 
Instead, he called his local police station in Upper Marion. Now, there are many people who took issue with that. I'm not necessarily one of them. Growing up in the Philadelphia suburbs, not that far from where this crime occurred, and today living in the same township, the same school district, we didn't have 911 support at the same time as other parts of the country, nor did we have it as early as big cities. Growing up, you had to call the local police, and there were different numbers for emergency services. In my town, there were three different numbers, depending on whether you needed police, fire, or ambulance. Luckily, each number was only one digit off from the other, which made it easy to remember, but it also meant people called fire when they meant to call ambulance or called ambulance when they meant to call police. Or you just called the police and they would determine if you needed additional services and ring up the fire department or ambulance on your behalf. I know the phone number of our local police station by heart now, but the first time I needed emergency services where I live was about four months after my daughter was born. I thought she was choking. I grabbed the house phone and realized I didn't know the number for the local police or ambulance back then. But then I remembered I could just call 911. So 911 wasn't always a thing here. I didn't find it suspect that someone would call their local police number instead of 911. Not more than 10 years ago. Maybe today, because we've all become so accustomed to using 911 for any and all sort of emergencies. The fact Raphael Robb didn't call 911 and instead called his local police was a big deal, though, for many people, including Montgomery County District Attorney Bruce Castor. That's a name you've heard a number of times before. He prosecuted Caleb Fairley and Craig Rabinowitz. He was the DA for a number of years during Chief Vance's days at the Montgomery County District Attorney's Office. DA Castor was known for being tough on criminals and standing up for victims. If there was anyone who would doggedly work to bring Ellen Gregory Robb's killer or killers to justice, it was Bruce Castor. Of course, the police initially side-eyed her husband, Raphael Robb. There was the weird vibe about not calling 911, and then his word choice when he did call the police was strange. In his call to the police, Ellen's husband said, I just came home and found my wife murdered on the kitchen floor. Her head is cracked. 49-year-old Ellen Gregory Robb was brutally murdered three days before Christmas in 2006 while she wrapped presents at her kitchen table. She was barely a month away from her 50th birthday. She was perhaps only weeks away from getting out of an abusive marriage, and none of that happened. No Christmas, no birthday, no escaping her controlling, demeaning, abusive husband, Raphael Robb. The DA's office called Ellen Gregory's murder the most brutal in Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, in over 50 years. When they first arrived on the scene, police and forensic teams thought Ellen had been shot, possibly more than once, in the face. But the coroner report indicated Ellen Gregory had been bludgeoned to death with a long metal object. Her face had been obliterated. Raphael Robb walked police through his alibi. He left his house around 8.30 that morning, drove to Chinatown, and stopped at a market where he often bought fresh fruit and vegetables. Then he went to the university where he was seen on camera at a nearby Wawa. That's a convenience store. Not only was he captured on camera, but he stood outside the Wawa and drank an entire soda, remaining on camera until he finished the bottle. Because I guess he wanted to make sure police didn't miss him on that camera. The police were able to confirm his visit to Wawa and his time on the Penn campus the morning of December 22nd, but nobody at the Chinatown market had seen him there earlier that morning. And none of the appearances he did make meant he didn't kill his wife, Ellen. 
There were no other suspects, no one who held a grudge against Ellen. In fact, everyone who knew her, except for her husband, absolutely adored her. She was liked and admired by her neighbors and parents at her daughter's school. She was adored by her brothers Art and Gregory and her mother before she passed away and her father before that. There was only one person on earth with a reason to want Ellen dead. And not just one reason, but three million reasons. And that was her husband, Raphael Robb. Although their house on Forest Road in Wayne, Pennsylvania, appeared as if there had been a break-in because of a broken window, sadly, it was tough to determine if anything was stolen because over the 16 years she'd been married, Ellen Gregory became a hoarder. According to a 2014 report in Psychology Today, hoarding behavior can go together with anxiety and depression. That doesn't mean people who suffer from anxiety or depression will become hoarders. But the act of hoarding can provide temporary relief from anxiety and depression while also triggering those feelings. No one really knows what went on inside the Rob house on Forest Road. Friends and family had a glimpse into Ellen's relationship with her husband. Early in the relationship when Raphael actually spent time around her family. But in later years, those appearances dwindled. They heard him speak to her sometimes in an appalling manner. They saw bruises from time to time, which were always played off as a result of Ellen being clumsy. Sometimes Ellen Gregory used a sliding scale when speaking to her family about the level of turmoil in her home. Like, on a scale of 1 to 10, how bad is it? That way, Raphael wouldn't know what she was talking about when he was in the room. All of that is bad, but it seems as if what Ellen Gregory lived through was actually worse than what people knew. Hoarding may have been how she coped with Raphael's controlling behavior, how she coped with the verbal and emotional abuse. Maybe it gave her a sense of control when she felt like she had none. So we've got a husband with a mediocre alibi, and the time he was outside of the home does not preclude him from committing Ellen Gregory's murder before he left the house. We've got a staged break-in, and a woman who was about to leave her husband, which would have cost him thousands and thousands of dollars in a divorce settlement. But this is all supposition, strong supposition, but so far there was no physical evidence linking Raphael Robb to his wife Ellen's murder. Although there was blood all over the kitchen and bloody boot prints going from the kitchen into the garage, there was no blood on Rob or his clothing, there was no blood in his car, there was no blood residue in the kitchen sink or the bathroom sink or the tub. Where did he clean up if he committed the murder? How did he clean up? There were no bloody shoes anywhere in the house. No physical evidence pointed to Raphael. Montgomery County forensic pathologist Ian Hood told District Attorney Bruce Castor that Ellen's killer used, and I quote, far more force than necessary, which seemed to be a rage killing or a crime of passion. Typically in those circumstances, the killer knows the victim. They know him or her very well, and they snap lashing out in a fit of rage that is so uncontrollable the murder itself seems like overkill. Add a few more check marks to the column under Raphael Robb's name as a prime suspect. Ellen Gregory's family learned of her murder a few hours after the police when her brother Gary Gregory pulled up at her house to pick up Ellen and daughter for a Christmas visit with his family. 
Imagine pulling up at a family member's home and seeing crime scene tape strung across trees where Christmas lights should be. Red and blue lights from a police car instead of the white or multicolor lights of a Christmas tree. Gary was so excited to get his sister Ellen and his niece for a holiday visit and instead showed up at his sister's house only to be told she'd been murdered. Over the next two weeks, District Attorney Castor and the officers investigating Ellen Gregory's murder put together what they called a circumstantial yet compelling case against her husband, Raphael Robb. Castor believed his motive was money, all the money he'd amassed in investment and retirement accounts, not just in the United States, but also in Israel, although it would be years before anyone realized just how much Raphael Robb was worth. The biggest challenge for the district attorney was proving whether Ellen Gregory's murder was premeditated or a crime of passion. Was it a spur-of-the-moment killing triggered by some perceived threat against Raphael by his wife, Ellen? Ellen's family believed the threat was she finally told her husband she was leaving. This holiday vacation with her family wasn't just a holiday vacation, but in a way it was the first step in getting away from her husband. She had a divorce attorney. She found a new place to live, and she had the support of her brothers and her friends. Had Ellen told Raphael that morning that she wanted a divorce? Was that the catalyst that caused Raphael Robb to snap, grab what was later identified as a pull-up bar, and bludgeon his wife to death? Or had Raphael planned Ellen Gregory's murder? Did he suspect she planned to leave him, a plan that would affect his considerable wealth? Did he plan on killing her that morning, a day when he thought he'd be able to establish a credible alibi? This was a difficult situation facing the district attorney, and as a result, on January 8, 2007, the DA's office filed charges of both first- and third-degree murder against Raphael Robb. He didn't put up a fight. Raphael Robb turned himself in and confessed to killing his wife. According to Robb, they'd had an argument over her holiday trip with their daughter. Raphael claimed he was worried his daughter would be gone longer than winter break, and he didn't want her to miss school. He claimed he and Ellen argued about the length of the trip, then the argument escalated. Raphael Robb claimed his wife, Ellen Gregory, pushed him, although she was only five foot four or so and he was over six feet tall. And in shock and rage, he grabbed the closest item he could get his hands on, a pull-up bar he hadn't yet installed in the house, and he beat her with it out of frustration, not out of an intent to murder her, although that was the end result. Raphael Robb told that story to a Montgomery County courtroom on November 26, 2007. As a result of his admission of guilt, Raphael Robb's defense attorney, Frank Simone, worked out a plea deal with District Attorney Bruce Castor, in which Robb was convicted of voluntary manslaughter. Manslaughter can carry a much lighter sentence. Hell, anything's lighter than murder one, which carries a mandatory sentence of life in prison. It was almost another year before Raphael Robb was sentenced and his sentencing was shocking. Montgomery County Judge Paul Tressler sentenced Raphael Robb to between five to 10 years in prison for manslaughter, plus 10 years probation, and ordered him to pay for his daughter's counseling services and set up a trust fund for her college education. That's it, five to 10 years. And unlike his past cases, some of which we've talked about before on Twisted Philly, there was very little voice of the victim from Bruce Castor. Because between the time he arrested Raphael Robb and Robb's sentencing hearing, Castor was no longer the DA in Montgomery County. He'd run for county commissioner and was back in court for the sentencing hearing as a special prosecutor because he'd been intimately familiar with the case. 
The really sad part of the sentencing hearing, as if the ridiculously light sentence isn't bad enough, is Ellen Gregory was made to look like she brought this face upon herself as a result of anxiety, depression, OCD, and other mental health issues. The abuse she suffered at her husband's hands was barely mentioned. Family and friends of Ellen Gregory were prepared to testify about what they knew, and Castor barely called any witnesses. He did call her immediate family, but they weren't permitted to discuss the abuse on the stand. Voluntary manslaughter sentencing guidelines in Pennsylvania are anywhere from three and a half to 20 years. Judge Tressler seemed to err on the side of leniency, and I'm sure the incredibly negative picture painted of Ellen by the defense contributed to his decision. Perhaps he saw Raphael Robb as a man pushed to his breaking point, not realizing that Robb entered the marriage as a domineering tyrant who got worse as the years went on. Ellen Gregory's friend Sharon Selman told the Pottstown Mercury newspaper that the court reinvented Ellen as someone who belonged in a mental institution. She further said Raphael Robb bludgeoned Ellen to death and then the defense drug her through the mud. In January 2013, Ellen's family was dealt another blow when her brothers were notified Raphael Robb was scheduled for release on parole on January 28, 2013, after spending only five years in prison. According to the Notice of Board Decision, dated November 7, 2012, the board's reasons for granting parole included Raphael Robb's participation in and completion of prescribed institutional programs, his positive institutional behavior, positive recommendations received by the Department of Corrections, plus his acceptance of responsibility for the crimes he committed. The decision further stated Robb would be paroled to an approved plan provided there were no misconducts in his behavior. Any job he might secure after being paroled must be approved by his parole supervisor. If he were unemployed, he would have to engage in an active job search, and ultimately securing a job meant wage garnishment to provide support for his daughter. There were other conditions in the board decision, but that was the bulk of it. You were a good boy in prison, so we're going to let you out on parole after serving just five years for beating your wife to death. Upon learning this news... Ellen's brothers, Gary and Art Gregory, her friends from her neighborhood on Forest Road and the Montgomery County District Attorney, got to work. Within days, Gary Gregory was granted a meeting with the parole board chairman, which was very unusual, as victims' families were typically only permitted to communicate with the Pennsylvania Board of Parole in writing. But the state made a big mistake. Victims and their families are supposed to be given 90 days' notice prior to a perpetrator being released on parole. In the case of Raphael Robb, Ellen Gregory's family was given less than two weeks' notice. In addition to Gary's meeting with the parole board chairman, the board considered letters from the Gregory family, Ellen's friends, domestic violence organizations in Pennsylvania, and a letter from the trial judge who originally sentenced Raphael Robb to between five to ten years in prison, retired Montgomery County Judge Paul Tressler. While I'm sure the Gregory family was grateful for his input, I am shocked at the sentence he levied in 2007 when you consider what he wrote to the Pennsylvania Parole Board. In his letter, Judge Tressler said, and these are direct quotes, I have been a prosecutor and a judge for almost 40 years, and the attack upon Ellen Robb was the most savage act I have ever encountered. I have never before raised a written objection to this board regarding any inmate. However, I am compelled to do so on this occasion. Dressler further said he thought Rob was a highly manipulative individual who attempted to force his daughter to continue her relationship with him by threatening to withhold financial support for her future. In closing, Tressler said, quote, I fear his prison conduct 
and your judgment about him not being a threat to the public is another example of his manipulation. All of that was taken directly from the letter Judge Tressler sent to the parole board chairman. How in the hell did he conclude Raphael Robb should only receive a sentence of five to ten years in prison when he described him the way he did in that letter? His sentencing guidelines for voluntary manslaughter were three and a half to 20 years. He could have sentenced Raphael Robb to the full 20, but he didn't. He gave him between a fourth to a half of that time behind bars. Thank God he wrote that letter because it went a long way in convincing the Pennsylvania Parole Board to rescind its decision. And Raphael Robb was forced to spend his full term in prison, 10 years. A former University of Pennsylvania professor convicted of killing his wife will stay behind bars. The parole board has refused Raphael Robb's latest bid for early release. He killed his estranged wife, Ellen Gregory Robb, in 2006. The Montgomery County District Attorney's Office says Robb is now expected to serve his entire 10-year sentence. He will face 10 years of supervised probation once he is released. In 2014, Gary Gregory, Ellen's brother and the administrator and personal representative for Ellen Gregory's estate, filed a wrongful death civil suit against Raphael Robb. I read the memorandum and order from the Montgomery County Court of Common Pleas civil decision, and it was an incredibly difficult read. After a three-day jury trial, the estate of Ellen Gregory was awarded over $128 million, of which $100 million were punitive damages. Ellen's daughter testified in the civil trial, now a young woman. She told the jury about coming home on December 22nd in 2006, the first day of winter break at Upper Marion School District. Students were dismissed early that day, and when she got off the bus at 12 years old, she saw ambulances and police cars at her house. She told the jury about not wanting to believe her father killed her mother and how it felt to lose both parents, because now her father was gone to her as well. One of the homicide detectives from the district attorney's office testified that the injuries to Ellen Gregory's face were so severe, you couldn't identify her. Ian Hood, the forensic pathologist who conducted Ellen's autopsy, also testified at the civil trial. And what he shared this time was so upsetting, I can't even repeat it. Very little of this testimony was included in the sentencing hearings. Maybe if it was, Judge Tressler would have given Raphael Robb the maximum sentence for voluntary manslaughter. During the civil trial, Raphael Robb and his attorneys tried to have many of his assets listed as exempt from being frozen or seized, citing numerous Pennsylvania statutes, but all of those motions were denied. Sadly, as recently as September 2018, the estate of Ellen Gregory is still fighting with Raphael Robb to uncover just what assets he has, whether they're in the U.S. or overseas, and what happened to some of that money that should go to his daughter. In October 2016, Raphael Robb submitted a motion to withdraw $100,000 from his frozen assets for what he called personal living funds, which would sustain him for a time once he was released from prison in 2017. But Raphael Robb had money. His sister, who lives in Israel, was sending him money in amounts between $10,000 and $50,000 at a time. The money trail of Raphael Robb is so convoluted, and I'll be honest, I read so many affidavits and discovery motions from the Montgomery County Court of Common Pleas that my head started to hurt, partly because of the legalese, which was foreign to me, although I did eventually get the gist of it, and partly because of how Raphael Robb tried to hide his assets. These were assets that should have been put in a trust for his daughter, and he did whatever he could to hide wealth that he didn't think was common knowledge. In May 2013, Raphael Robb's verified assets between investment and retirement accounts in the United States totaled a little over $2.5 million. 
that did not include the value of the home he shared with Ellen, which at the time of his release from prison, he still owned. That house sat vacant for 12 years. He wouldn't sell it, and honestly, who would buy it considering what happened there? In December 2014, the Court of Common Pleas required Raphael Robb to provide an updated list of his assets. And suddenly, a $40,000 IRA, which hadn't been reported the year before, was added to the list. Raphael Robb then signed two sworn affidavits, confirming these were true statements about all of his assets. There wasn't anything else. Well, there was. So signing those affidavits was basically lying under oath. Raphael Robb was deposed again in 2017 because the court found four accounts in banks in Israel. One had over $50,000, another had over $80,000, there was a third or fourth with about $100,000 in them. Between 2007 and 2008, after his arrest but before his sentencing, Raphael Robb liquidated the funds in the Israeli banks and transferred the money to his sister. Once this was discovered in 2014, he claimed he gave her the money so she could properly care for him while he was being treated for thyroid cancer. But in another deposition, he said the money was a gift for her, which was used to pay for his nephew's college education in Israel. But in reality, his sister was sending the money back to him, and at the time, the court had no idea. I learned all this and so much more in a plaintiff's motion to hold Raphael Robb in contempt of court in September 2018. These documents were available as public record provided you pay for them, which I did because I wanted to understand the extent of this man's heinous bullshit that continues even till this day. These documents included handwritten notes Rob kept in prison, notes about his criminal defense as well as his civil defense. In one of the notes, he wrote, financial arrangements independent of option chosen, misses the point, the timing is of the essence, and that the best defense against civil is that accounts are empty. The Israeli accounts weren't the end of it. The court found another account in a French bank with over $22,000, which Raphael Rob tried to pass off as having forgotten about because he lived in France for a year and hadn't had the time to use the internet to determine where all of his accounts lied and the current state of his money. Give me a major fucking break. This man is considered one of the world's most brilliant economic minds, and you're going to tell me he doesn't keep track of his money? That's horseshit. Raphael Robb also tried to transfer his assets in U.S. accounts to his sister in Israel sometime between 2007 and 2008, again, between the time he was arrested and his sentencing hearing, but he was unsuccessful in that endeavor. A third-party trustee has been assigned by the Montgomery County judge to oversee a continued investigation into Raphael Robb's assets. He's a free man today, living outside of Pittsburgh. Well, we invited you here as hard as it is to relive it, uh, because... We wanted to remember the unthinkable horror that occurred here. Jerry Gregory is talking about the bludgeon killing of his sister, Ellen Gregory Robb, at the hands of her former husband, Raphael Robb. A decade ago, he was an economics professor at the University of Pennsylvania. Family, friends, and neighbors gathered outside their empty home today where the domestic violence killing occurred because Raphael Robb was released from a Commonwealth prison yesterday after serving out his 10-year sentence on a manslaughter conviction. He is now on 10 years probation. He can't simply go back into society unfettered while this, the memory of my sister fades away. 10 years after the gruesome killing of Ellen Robb, this neighborhood is still haunted by it. Raphael Robb, now out of prison, still jointly owns the property of 670 Forest Road in Wayne, along with his wife's estate. 
what would happen if we saw him back in this area? Don't think that we would not act. Rob has been hit with a court order to pay $125 million to their daughter. In the past, he's claimed he's worth $3 million, but apparently he has far more. And so we're certainly supporting District Attorney Steele and their efforts to evaluate the potential for a perjury charge. Ellen Robb's family believes Rob will be residing in western Pennsylvania near Pittsburgh for now. His lawyer had no comment today. Her family has launched a foundation to fight against domestic violence. Gregory's legacy lives on not just in her daughter and her brothers, but in the organization her family founded in 2007 to help victims of domestic violence called Every Great Reason, which has the same initials as Ellen Gregory Robb. The Every Great Reason Foundation says you have every great reason to live your life your way, and they want to help. Every Great Reason's charter is to create awareness about domestic violence and abuse, to advance victims' rights, establish much-needed education, and emancipate victims by providing access to necessary resources so they fully realize their every great reason to begin a new life. According to their website, Every Great Reason also provides an avenue for victims who are seemingly shackled by domestic violence and abuse to courageously move forward and begin a new life. You can get more information about Every Great Reason on their website at everygreatreason.org. There are ways you can help, links to resources if you or someone you know is a victim of domestic violence or abuse, and so many beautiful tributes to Ellen Gregory. I really hesitated to share this story. This was a very difficult one for me to get through all of the research leading up to releasing this episode. This time of year, I release an episode about a crime that occurred on or around Christmas. This one hit me harder than others for reasons I'm not comfortable sharing. It's also Fairly recent, Ellen was only murdered 12 years ago. Her murderer was just released from prison in 2017, and her family is still fighting him in a myriad of ways. But at the same time, they're not letting Raphael Robb tell the story. This is Ellen Gregory's narrative. Every great reason is Ellen Gregory's legacy. It's her family's legacy, her family's narrative. The civil suit wasn't just about money. It was about telling the truth forcing her husband to tell the truth about what he did, not the lies that were painted about Ellen during Rob's sentencing hearing, but the truth about what she endured and the fact that she was close to getting out. She'd made the courageous decision to leave, to start over. She had every great reason to do it, to walk away and find a life of her own, and that was taken from her. I don't know how the Gregory family would feel if they listened to this episode. I hope so very much they would be comfortable with what I shared and what I didn't share because I kept out some facts I uncovered in court documents that for me were just too difficult to share. I hope they know how much I respect their sister, their daughter, their mother, Ellen Gregory. I hope all of you will visit the website for every great reason and learn more about that organization. Perhaps make a donation if it's in your budget. And if it's not, just spread the word about the good work Ellen Gregory's family is doing. If you or anyone you know is a victim of domestic violence or abuse, you do not have to go through it alone. The National Domestic Violence Hotline is available 24 hours a day, seven days a week, in over 200 languages at 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 
800-799-7233. If you don't want to or can't call, but can chat online, you can go to their website at thehotline.org and click the Chat Now button to talk with someone who can help. The Pennsylvania Coalition Against Domestic Violence is available online at pcadv.org. You can get resources in your county, including 24-hour counseling services, shelter, advocacy, even financial support. You are not alone. There are people who can and will help you. I know it's scary. I know you may be hoping things will get better. It may feel embarrassing to admit what you're going through, but it isn't. So many people understand your circumstances and want to help. If you are being abused, please contact 1-800-799-7233. Those numbers and websites will also be available in the show notes in case you didn't have an opportunity to jot them down. As always, thank you for listening. That's it from me. Ciao for now, Twisters. To end this on a positive note, if people want to be involved with every great reason, how can they find you guys and get more information? Uh, just, just through the website. And we're always looking for volunteers and, and support and, and resources to take our mission and deliver it to other organizations, which are the backbone, local organizations. And the fight.